0: listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I speak to you this night in the strong name of the Trinity, the one who creates, redeems, and sustains us. Amen. It's Trinity Sunday. You may have gathered by all of the Trinitarian language. Sometimes when Theologians turn their attention to exploring this doctrine, it can quickly get rather dense and a bit tough to wrap your head around. That is certainly true of many of the theologians of the ancient church, the ones who first took the seeds of the doctrine that are in evidence in the Bible and then attempted to articulate it in its fullness. The Nicene Creed that we'll proclaim at the end of the sermon was painstakingly worked out by these bishop theologians at the councils of Nicaea in 325 and Constantinople in 381. There's no small amount of debate, controversy, and at least for times, division. Phrases such as eternally begotten, of one being with the father proceeds from the father those are english translations of very precise greek words and philosophical concepts that have caused many an aching brain amongst first year seminary students many a time i would i heard a fellow student cry out in despair how am i possibly going to use any of this in the parish I'm called to minister with real people living ordinary lives. What am I going to do with this? And some of my fellow students would do all in their power to avoid taking systematic theology courses. They'd opt instead for biblical studies because that would help with preaching. And they would opt for what they assumed would be the more practical pastoral theology courses, stuff that was of some earthly good to the average person in a parish church. Thankfully, I, I, I persevered, and I kept registering for theology classes. The following year, I landed myself in a course called The Triune God. It was taught by a, a woman named Margaret O'Gara, a Roman Catholic theologian. Now, Margaret was not only a superb teacher... She also had a deep sense that Trinitarian theology was, among other things, a most pastoral sort of theology. Yes, we had to trudge through some of that dense stuff, but she also helped us to discover the more poetic, imaginative, even playful face of Trinitarian thought. Who knew that St. Augustine, who's so often characterized as being such a serious, even rather doer, thinker, who knew he could be playful when it came to exploring images of God as triune? Or the quote that's on the front of your leaflet tonight from Meister Eckhart in the 14th century, who talks about the Trinity as being laughter. And it's from laughter that we proceed. Vagrius famously said that the theologian is the one whose prayer is true. But there in that class on the Trinity, I began to see that the best theologians are also ones whose play and poetry is true. And ever since then, I have relished preaching on this day. Now many of you will recall the years that I arranged to have a juggler here to preach alongside of me, keeping the juggling balls in a steady rhythmic motion. It's such a strong visual image of how three can be one at the same time. Perhaps the the greatest insight of the juggling image is that if the juggler tried to hang on to one of those balls for just a little too long, the whole thing collapses to the floor. The Trinity is movement, dynamic. To use one of the most ancient images, it is a dance. One of the theological writers in our own day who has really captured this is the American Presbyterian Baxter Kruger. In his book, The Great Dance, Kruger writes of his own awakening to the truth of that image. He writes of how midway through his doctoral studies, so he was long past his mdev midway through his doctoral studies, he was suddenly and stunningly awakened to the fact that, as he writes, God is not some faceless, all-powerful abstraction. God is Father, Son, and Spirit, existing in a passionate And joyous fellowship. The Trinity is not three highly committed religious types sitting around some room in heaven. The Trinity is a circle of shared life. And the life shared is full, not empty, abounding and rich and beautiful, not lonely and sad and boring. The great dance that is the Trinity, the great dance is all about the abounding life shared by the Father, Son, and Spirit. It all boils down to three things, Baxter Kruger writes. First, there is the Trinity, and the great dance of life and glory and joy shared by the Father, Son, and Spirit. Second, There is the incarnation as the act of Father, Son, and Spirit reaching down, extending the circle, their great dance of life for us. Third, there is our humanity, which is the theater in which the great dance is played out through the Spirit. That is what motherhood and fatherhood are all about. That is what fishing and baseball and playing are all about, and laughter and romance, cookouts and work. They are the ways, the beauty of Father, Son, and Spirit, the great dance of the triune God, the glory, the fellowship, the life are played out in us. And you read Baxter Kruger's words, and one of our book groups is actually doing this book right now. You read his words, and it just positively pops with this glorious energy around how everything, everything connects back to the abundant life of God poured out into us. Years ago, I listened to a recording of one of his lectures, and in his distinctly southern drawl, He talked about the feeling of spending a sunny afternoon at the ballpark with my son, watching baseball, sipping a cold beer, enjoying a hot dog. You feel utter joy at that moment, utter contentment. There's nothing else in the world, he said. Do you think that joy comes from you? Do you think that joy comes from you? Thing is, and I think, that's, I think it's brilliant to talk about the delight of watching baseball with a kid with a cold drink and a hot dog, the delight in that actually somehow relates to the glory of God. I think it's brilliant. The thing is, not all of us feel that joy. Certainly not all the time. And for some people, that kind of delight seldom comes. For people who are walking with a lot of weight on their shoulders, a lot of pain or a lot of sorrow, it's hard to imagine ever getting caught up in the dance. Maybe it's hard to even imagine that that's what God is like. That's what God wills or wishes for us. So alongside of that, the dancing imagery and the juggling imagery and the laughter imagery for the Trinity, we need to pay attention to other imaginative and poetic voices who can speak other images into the whole. For me, one of those other voices, one of those poets, is the jazz legend John Coltrane, whose piece, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, alerted me to the limits of all human language ever to completely describe God. The first time I I heard this particular piece by John Coltrane, I honestly thought, well, at very first I thought that I had a flawed CD. It just sort of blasted on with all of this noise, and I thought, it's broken. It wasn't broken. I, and then I realized or I thought it was little more than just an unstructured barrage of intense musical sounds. It was not uncommon in the 60s in a genre named free jazz where they would just gather musicians and start free-blowing, it was called. Just create the sound. I thought that's what it was. I mean, there was two sax players, two drummers, a bass and a piano, just playing, playing hard. And apparently just embracing dissonance for ten minutes. That's how long the piece runs. Ten minutes. What, what does that have to do with the Trinity? But I was stubborn, so I listened again. And I was aware that at the 48-second mark, John Coltrane's tenor sax can be heard picking out what is the closest thing to a melodic line in the whole ten minutes. He plays an 11-note run, expressing the 11 syllables, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. The Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Just played on his sax. He plays it again and again and again, 22 times in different keys over the course of just about a minute. But it's so clearly there. Ah, I heard it. Then I listened again to the whole piece, and I began to realize... That alongside of that, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, there was actually a structure. It wasn't just free-blown. In fact, there was three layers of sound, three voices, so to speak, voicing the three persons: the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Up front is the first voice. It's the saxophone, sometimes honking, sometimes squalling along with an insistent hammering on the tambor- tambourine by Pharaoh Saunders, the second saxophonist, when he isn't playing his sax, when he's not got that in his mouth, bang, 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 bang. It's noise. Just barely behind that front layer, the saxes and that percussion, lies a second voice, the percussive attack of the two drummers. And on the stereo, one is heard through that speaker and one is heard through that speaker. And yet another step in sits a third voice, the bass and the piano. Together, the bass and the piano provide the ensemble a a bare approximation of an anchor. And the three voices, those three musical pieces, weave in and out and through and around each other for the ten minutes in a manner entirely in keeping with the Trinitarian title of the piece. But rather than speaking in terms of a dance or the delight of baseball or romance, the piece speaks to the unfathomable mystery and the untamable power and freedom of the divine Father, Son, and Spirit. There's no sign of a juggler in that piece, I'll tell you. And if there was, he'd probably be juggling chainsaws. At a speed so fast your eyes could not tell one from the other. That experimental jazz piece I learned not to ever get too tidy with my theological imagery. That's what John Coltrane said to me. I delight in the imagery of the dance, baseball, juggling. I delight in the beauty and the harmony But I know the limits of any human language, any human imagery. Sometimes we just need to stand slack-jawed and exhausted in the face of the unfathomable mystery of God. And yet, one more poetic voice, this time one that speaks both to the weight that we can carry in our oh-so-human lives and to the redemptive, creative promise of the dance. These are the closing lines of Malcolm Geith's sonnet for Trinity Sunday. God calls us out of darkness, chaos, chance. So he acknowledges the darkness and the chaos and the chance that we live with. God calls us out of darkness, chaos, chance. To improvise a music of our own. To sing the chord that calls us to the dance. Three notes resounding from a single tone. To sing the end in whom we all begin. Our God beyond, beside us, and within. I invite you to stand and join with me in the proclamation of our faith in the words of that ancient Nicene Creed. We say together, we believe in one God, the Father and the Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.